on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard another episode of The Big Fish. When Steve's hand and arm were crushed in an industrial accident, he thought his fishing days were over. No longer able to crank the handle of a spinning reel, he discovered that a locked wrist and arm and hand from the elbow down was actually perfect for wielding a fly rod. Not only does he wield it, he's taken on the biggest challenge in fly fishing, tackling pelagic species from the South Coast rock platforms. That's our first cast this morning on The Big Fish. Steve from the South Coast is a long wand convert. He loves saltwater fly fishing and uh, joins us on the line. Good morning, Steve. Yeah, good morning. How are you going? I'm going really well. You used to be a, an offshore angler and loved spinning gear and overhead gear and, and all of the, the wonderful gear. I mean, we are gear junkies, aren't we, us fisher folk? But you converted to fly fishing for a, a very interesting reason. Um, tell us about that. I had a crush injury on my right hand and wrist and the repair job was very, very good but I don't have full use and if I was to use a spinning reel and wind, I would only last an hour before my wrist would swell up and I, I couldn't fish any longer. So with the fly fishing, I simply strapped the rod to my wrist and it keeps my hand from being much use really i don't have to um, grip hard or anything so the strapping just holds the rod nicely and uh, you're a bit of a me to cast very easily you're a bit of a cyborg the, uh, the fly rod's an extension of your arm that's that's fantastic yes and it feels like it when it loads too it, it, you get much more feeling because um i'm not gripping so hard so it, it telegraphs through the Wrist quite nicely. Wow, there's a lesson there for other people who might have a an acquired workplace disability or, or a, a disability that maybe fly fishing could be good for them. We've done stories, you may have heard them, about the therapeutic powers of fly fishing for women recovering from breast cancer surgery, uh, you know, building up their arm and shoulder. We've had uh, plenty of those stories. So this is a, a fascinating one. And you don't make it easy for yourself. It's not like you're going after the... The, the genteel trout of the high country, you're out there in the, the spray and the foam and the surge on the rocks fly fishing. Is that right? Yeah, so I, when I first took up fly fishing, I was in the local lake just casting for brim and flathead. But um, I, I just wanted something a little bit more exciting, so I started targeting Taylor off the rocks. And then one morning I accidentally hooked into a small kingfish. <laughs> and I didn't know what had happened. <laughs> all hell all hell broke loose. Yeah, a little rat on a six weight. So um, yeah. Have you upped your gear now? Because I, I remember the first time I went out to sea just off Swansea when we had the big salmon schools. Now, sadly, they, they net a lot of them. And after 20 minutes on an eight-pound salmon, I, I realised I needed something at least uh, eight or above. Well, I um, had mine subdued, I thought, 
and uh, up to the rocks. And so I put the rod under my arm because I'd need to get down on the ledge and hand line the fish up. Well, he wasn't actually subdued. He was just waiting for me to put the rod under my arm, which he then dragged under the ledge and smashed. So, um, yeah, so I had to up the gear a bit. <laughs> yeah, what do you use now, Steve? I use a nice NRX 9 weight. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty good. That's not too heavy and it's not too light, is, is it? I've got a 10 weight that's a bit like wielding a... a... <laughs> power pole it's a bit too heavy eight or nine is is pretty good isn't it for for all-round uh saltwater fly fishing well i used to use my um tfo um bvk for the rocks because uh they're a good rod that that didn't cost an arm and a leg and they had a, a great replacement system every time a kingfish smashed the tip on my rod I'd get get the tip replaced, <laughs> but they don't make them anymore. No, I'm I up think to a, up to an NRX. Yeah, some of the um, some of the manufacturers still give that warranty. I broke a rod in New Zealand chasing trout uh, in in January, and and uh, the the manufacturer in Oregon um, waiting on a, a new new section. It's got a lifetime warranty, uh, although it costs about fifty bucks or eighty bucks, I think, for the for the postage. So. Um, they are quite fragile, aren't they? That's one of the, the downsides of, of fly rods. They're, they're pretty durable. It's, it's funny. you just got to be lucky sometimes. I had the same seven-weight Killwell from New Zealand that lasted for decades and gave it a, a real flogging. Um, but, yeah, you just got to expect to break a few in that environment, I would think, Steve. Yes, the rocks are not forgiving. And um, it's generally when you're, you're landing them that you can get into a lot of trouble. What about uh, line selection? A lot of the guys in the Central Coast fly rodders who uh, are really good rocks fishers use very cheap floating lines. What what have you gone to? Well, I do have a, a floating line, but it's not a cheap one. It's a good quality Rio, which I use for fishing crease flies and poppers, which um, we quite often get the schools of Benito and things running along the rocks here. Now, aren't they great? At the moment. Aren't they great surface but, fishing for... For those and the crease flies has got to be the easiest thing in the world to tie and and cast too. They're a nice slim profile, aren't they? And light. Yeah, they're they're very nice. But um, when I'm chasing the kings here, we don't seem to get them up on the surface. Um, they're more subsurface. So I use a Rio sinking tip line, and um, it works like an integrated shooting head. It's instead of being a tapered line, it's, it has a um, coated tip with uh, tungsten and it, it shoots very nicely into the wind and all and casts a good distance and I don't let it sink too deep. I use a, a about a six-inch candy, surf candy fly in a chartreuse, strip it back quite quick and um, the king seemed to like them. Yeah, yeah. They're great, those little surf candies, aren't they? You can get them, you know, really match the hatch with those. They, they're a very good... Um, way to replicate those those sort of see-through bait fish yes i i find they're um a good all-round fly and they don't tangle quite as easily in in washy surf no Um, no they don't have that that sort of bucktail that can get around the the shank yeah they're they're a good one and steve um you find that most of the fish are in the wash i think that's something that a lot of us do when we've got 
spinning tackles, throw a bit too far out. Do you get most of your hits in the wash, in the white water? Uh, in pretty close. Where I fish is uh, a finger of rock that sticks out and the boys surf on one side of it and the wash that comes around the front from that then drops into a deeper hole, a deeper section, which is where I fish and get most of the hookups. Landing them is something else. If they run around towards the surfers, you do lose quite a few. I don't mind losing the leaders. It's when they shred my fly lines in the reef that's not nice. <laughs> no, it's not nice. It's such a terrific sport, and, and great that you're doing that, even with that, that problem that you've had through the, the injury. It's, it's really wonderful how you've found a, a way to do it, Steve. I think it's brilliant. And how do you actually strap the fly rod to, to your arm? Is it the, the butt section, you know, the... the the cork yes. sort of thing, the cork. Yes, I have. Uh, I use those surgical bandages, the very elasticy ones, and I have it tightly folded a couple of times, and um, it just seems to hold it nice and stiff to the wrist and hand. Well, it's just fantastic. Where there's a, a will, there's a way to fish, and Steve, it's a great story of of resilience and and um, adapting, I guess, to. Uh, do something as great as saltwater fly fishing off the rock. So more power to you and, and more tight loops to you, Steve. Thanks for telling your story. Well, I, I had to find some way to fish. Otherwise, you know, it, all sorts of insanity creep in. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> saltwater right. withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> right. I, I sometimes cop a bit of flack for doing too much on fly fishing because I just love it. It's such a great thing. Everything about fly fishing to me is is great. So, I tell all my friends it's the most complicated and expensive way to catch less fish. How <laughs> could you have more fun than that? <laughs> we are crazy, absolutely. Steve, tight lines, mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Stephen Gaynor from the Flyboat. That was Steve, a disabled fly rodder, and I believe he's, he's booked in to go out with you. He is, mate. How are you, Scott? Yeah, I'm looking forward to taking out the other Steve, or yeah. Cyborg Steve, as we're about to call him. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> he comes from an area where you fished a lot off the rocks uh, with the fly rod. Is that right? Yeah, so he's just from the south of Wollongong. So I've done all, you know, I basically cut my teeth sort of diving and surfing and fishing down there. And, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to get together and tell some stories. But, but he's doing something even cooler than I ever did. He's catching thingies off the shore there at Dark Point and Marilla. And that's a pretty big feat, you know. That's that's not an easy thing to do. I haven't landed a lot of kings off the rock, so especially on fly. Oh. <laughs> he said they do give shred the fly line quite regularly, and he's gone through a few fly lines, but he loves it. He used to love... Um, you game fishing and, and light tackle game fishing with spinning rods and things, but had a, a, an industrial accident, had his wrist and arm crushed, and he found that he could really do fly fishing by virtually strapping the fly rod to his arm and wrist. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, Steve, when you think about the mechanics of fly casting? It really does. And, and look, a lot of people suffer. They fish with their wrist instead of their elbow. Uh, yeah. one error strap his wrist and keep it all locked in place. Look, I find, well, you, you know, when you're throwing a little drive spot trout, yeah, you can use your wrist, but you really need that elbow arm power to throw out a full line in the salt. And it's, it's just, it's so important to be able to get that line out and get it out fast and far. So, mate, he's, he's doing really well. 
Yeah, it's just <laughs> amazing. Just amazing. And and uh, you've had some other famous people on board. I be, believe that the wonderful Lex Marinos, one of Australia's greatest uh, actors and uh, terrific Greek Australian, uh, out in the boat with his son. Yeah, Lex and Van were out with me there uh, probably two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. We had a great morning telling stories, catching fish, you know, like, it was a beautiful morning, actually. It was, yeah, it was really, really fun. And, you know, great to meet some good Australian characters as well. Really good people. Yeah, wonderful bloke, Lex, and uh, a great ambassador for Wagga Wagga too, my old hometown. Uh, his family uh, were real pioneers of the fast food industry down that way, had a, a, a very beautiful country-style Greek cafe, and uh, Lex grew up in Fitzmaurice Street there above the cafe and then, you know, always uh, stayed connected with his roots, and he's done a great job in promoting Wagga Wagga as, as a destination as well. Wow, there you go. It's amazing how many Greek people I'm meeting. You know, the whole the whole marine world seems to be Greek or half Greek or pretending to be Greek, and my sister's marrying a Greek man, and great people, you know, just wonderful culture. Oh, wow, that's going to be exciting. You'll be able to catch all of the calamari. You watch what they do with it. <laughs> you mean I can't use it as bait? <laughs> no, that's right. You'll be thrown o- overboard. And did Lex get a few fish and his son? He did, yeah. We got a lot of fish that day. Benito, little kingfish, and just non-stop action, you know. We were, we were on the bait, but it was just great fun. Really great fun. Do we still have lots of bait schools in Sydney Harbour? What what size are they? Okay, it's going off. It's, it's the only way I can describe it. There is bait everywhere. Um, remember when you came out with me and we were fishing Elizabeth Bay and all those bait schools that were going nuts? It's it's double that this time. Um, we've Yeah, it's, it's going off. The one strange thing from this year is we've got Benito schools of around averaging size of 25 centimetres and we've got Watson's Leaping Benito averaging 55 centimetres, which is a complete flip around from last year. Um, I've never seen Benito so small. Wow, wow, and those big Watson's Leaping Bonito, aren't they a beautiful fish? Beautiful and so aggressive on the fly. They're, they're taking everything. I, I haven't had a fussy day yet with mm. the Bonito, the Watson. Um, there's, there's a few school of Mac tunas, but they're not in great numbers. But what, what are around there in big size? Um, and there's, there's the occasional Rat King tearing through everything. So you know when you hook mm. one of those on eight pounds. <laughs> hey, you know you know the story of, of how that fish got its name? No. Oh, well, old Watson was out fishing, Dr. Watson, and one of them leapt up and hit him in the head, knocked him cold, and, and hence it was called Watson's Leaping Bonita. You're telling stories there, Scott. Stories. <laughs> <laughs> There's one for your clients. You tell, tell them that one. They'll love it. What, what I loved about that trip we had with you last year was that the, the bait schools were actually taking refuge under the boat. So they were beautiful little surf candy size, say about a size, uh, I don't know, eight fly. And um, they thought that it was safe under the boat. But, of course, that's where all the kingies and, and the salmon and the bonito and, and mac tuna and everything else, of course, then attacked them. So you only had to sort of flip flip the fly over the side and you were in. Yep, yep. And it's, it's exact, they're doing exactly the same thing this year. It's, it's truly amazing. Like all that rain last year, has really, you know, the bait is abundant. And I'm hearing it's the same offshore. So I think we're really set up for a good few years of fishing. Oh, and sounds... the water temperatures, I don't know if you've seen the water temperatures, they're just incredibly high. Well, someone told me the other day that it was 26. It couldn't be true, could it? 
yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I heard it was 27 off North Head. Um, now, I know it's a little bit different, the surface temperature, but at Roseville Boat Ramp last week, it was 29 degrees on the surface. So, you know, it was a hot, sunny day, but, like, that's still incredibly hot. That's almost too hot. Wow, and, and there's some great kings being caught. I spoke to your mate Craig McGill uh, last time and, and uh, really getting some good-sized kings all around the harbour, um, just turning up everywhere by the sound of it. Yeah, look, um, they're turning up. They're not as, uh, you know, every day is a different day with the kings at the moment. They're definitely, I, I personally, I think there's more offshore than in the harbour at the moment. But, you know, there are days when the big ones will come through. Uh, he probably spoke to you about Steve Windsor and you know, the great big one that he got that got sharks. Oh, yeah, yeah. He showed me a photo of that. It was um, it was a good 20-pound uh, kingy after it was bitten in half. <laughs> Easy, mate. That was, look, a solid 1,200 kingy. And, um, like, I was there that day and I saw Steve go off chasing this fish down and then come back with just a head. It was, a, it was a big shark, and there's been lots of sharks around. So it's just, you know, it's just a sign of a good ecosystem, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The, look, that's the way to, to get ahead in Sydney, isn't it? Uh, and he said that you could actually uh, – the guy's got some really nice fillets off it. they got enough to eat. they got a nice feed, even though it was exactly bitten in half. Oh, yeah. Oh, mate, was, you would have fed a family with what came back. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, share it around. That's it. That's it. <laughs> share, it, share it around. And, and what are you targeting this morning? What are, what are your plans when you uh, zip out? I know you're waiting there at the Roseville boat ramp, ready to go. Look, uh, I've got a fly client who's fairly experienced. So, you know, we'll, we'll go chase the surface action. Um, we'll hit some markers. There's kingfish sitting on the markers at low tide. You know, they go off the hunt on the high and retreat back to their little homes. Um, so, yeah, we'll just mix it up. We'll drive around the harbour. It's so funny. I don't know if you've noticed kings on markers. Have you ever seen that cartoon of a dog hiding behind a street pole with its tail hanging out? Yeah. <laughs> Mate, the kingfish do exactly the same thing. Their heads are stuck onto the markers and their tails are sticking up out of the water like, you know, oh, you can't see me, you can't see me. I just I just love seeing that and then throwing a fly and getting the eat. It's just, oh, just such a wonderful experience. It's ridiculous, isn't it? They'll hide behind the rope on the mooring. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not seeing a lot on boats though this year. So that's why I don't think we've got the numbers that we've had in previous years. And you know, speaking to the offshore boys, there's just so much bait out there that like they've got no reason to come in yet on mass. So I think the ones that we have have come in. They're hanging around, but there's so much more offshore. So yeah. I'm really I'm looking forward to when they start to show up as well. Sounds great for those people along the in- inshore reefs off Long- Longy and-, and all those spots where they do hang out. Um, you know, they- they're not out too far. No, no, no. And like, as I speaking to the, you know, speaking to the different guys, Matt, uh, Matty Reed from Master Charters, you know, like, they're catching 100 fish a day. Wow, wow. Any big yeah, ones? Like, oh, I'm sure he's getting the big ones because Matty always does. But, like, they're getting a lot of good fish. And, wow. you know, he's saying you can walk across the school. So... No, it's, it's exciting. We'll see what happens in the harbour. But, like, we're getting the same thing with surface action. And the amount of tailor around, like, I haven't seen numbers of tailor like this. And big tailor up to 60 centimetres, busting up on the surface, breaking us off. Like, I was throwing stick baits the other day trying to tease the kingfish to the boat. And, mate, they were biting off my stick baits that didn't even have hooks on them. <laughs> 
So, no. like, it was, an ex- it was an expensive experience, but, like, <laughs> you go to admire the light and what they do and just how aggressive they are. Oh, I love so, the tailor. Oh, love the tailor. And, and um, yeah, and obviously uh, other big fish following those, like the sharks, like M- Mulloway probably down underneath those schools as well? Oh, there's, there's got to be. There's got to be. Look, we've been throwing letting the clouds sink down into the sand and the flathead are cleaning up under all these bait schools. Um, so, look, it's really exciting. And the one definite thing is, I don't know about your fishing up there, but this season's been very late. Like, this has only started in the last month to three weeks. So, it's, it's looking exciting for the next month and a half, two months. Yeah, my estuary has been weird because we've had the, the, the brown snotweed that gets over everything. It's only sort of a winter, early spring uh, phenomenon. Uh, it's it's still around, you know, because there's been so much nutrient and so much fresh into the system and it's just starting to go away and it's a pain in the neck. So maybe, um, yeah, maybe I'll get out this weekend and, and uh, get into them because it has been a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, I think, look, this weekend, we, no, sorry, this weekend's looking really good weather-wise. Uh, we've got northerly winds and, you know, big, strong, warm currents. I think it's going to be really good. No, I'm excited, but, you know, I'm kind of always excited. So... <laughs> I tell you what was just the best fun with you because Kingies, uh, you know, will get you around anything they can, try to find any structure at all. They're very dirty fighters. But when we were off Balmoral on on sand in about 20 feet of water and you drop one of those big orange squid flies down, which I, I don't know why they, they take them, but they do. And it was so easy because you just let the sinking line take it down and give it a few little strips and bang, it tightens up and eight weight, you know, on a kingfish is just, doesn't matter what size kingfish, it's just a fantastic fight. But they'd run everywhere, but you'd always get them. You know, that's that's a rarity really, because usually it's in, in amongst moorings and boys and ropes and, and tight quarters. But that was really great fun fishing to, and to see those kingies zoom through the bait schools right underneath the boat, that was really epic. Oh, look, it's, it's almost as good as catching them. Like, I love it. I personally just love seeing that life. And, and, you know, there's nothing better than seeing a big shark then come up through the bait school as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's been some big ones around. We had a, a salmon munched in half right next to the boat. You know, had some kids on board. And it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen, let alone them. And this, this bull shark would have been solid three and a half metres long. I don't exaggerate. Well, I, maybe I do exaggerate because they always look bigger in the water. But it was a big fish. And the funny thing is, we hooked up to a salmon first, up came a king, threw a fly out, got the king, and he ate the salmon. And we got a legal king out of it. So, you know, I'll, I'll pay the juice. That's all good. <laughs> wow, wow, pay the tax, man. I, I, it's a bit like Jaws. You've got to get a bigger boat. Hey, I'll let you get it into the water, Stephen. You, you're just absolutely frothing at the mouth with excitement. Sydney Harbour going off. Thanks, Scott. Look, have a great week, mate, and we'll talk soon. See you then.
Have you ever moved to a new location and thought, where do I start? So much water. Where are the fish? Well, Stinker has some great tips on adapting to a new fishing environment if you've moved. That's coming up on The Big Fish. Look at me floating here on my own The sky drips The shoreline's gone There's a white bird circling All in The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Hey, guys, Scott. How you going? Yeah, going really well. What was it like for you adapting to a new place. When you moved from the Tweed, where you'd lived all your life, uh, down to Fingal Bay, what, what was that like as a, as a fisher person? Oh, well, it was a whole new ball game, Scott. I mean, what I had learnt in my uh, early days of fishing in, in the Tweed was basically estuary and beach. And, and that was pretty much summed up. So you'd learn in the in the estuaries you'd fish for whiting, brim, and flathead, and off the beaches you'd fish mainly for, for tailor. And and that's really my background in fishing. So when I came to Port Stephens, um, it would have a whole new ball game because the estuary here is so huge. You can catch all sorts of things in the estuary here. That you, like Mulloway and, and snapper, uh, kingfish and trevally inside the estuary. That's along with all the regulars, the you know the the brim and the flathead and the whiting. Oh dear, Stinker, was it a bit daunting though to see such a huge port, such a huge expanse of water compared to your, your Terranora Lakes and, and the Tweed River? Oh no, it was exciting. I. It was it's a massive waterway. I mean, I, I'm still learning. I rarely go into the estuary. I'm so uh, settled at Fingal Bay that I'm normally on the beach or out in Stink Pot, out around the reefs and around the islands. But that's where I spend 99% of my time. I rarely go into the estuary. But what was interesting, Scott, was that a lot of things that happen here in Port Stephens, um, a lot of methods um, and a lot of species catching species didn't exist in in, in the Tweed. Uh, I mean, there's no one on the Tweed who goes fishing for snapper. Not, not one person goes fishing for snapper in an 11 foot tinny because <laughs> the reefs are too far out to sea. Yeah, so it was a whole whole new ball game. What about the locals uh, sharing? 
information. You're a pretty gregarious fella. You love a chat. Um, <laughs> and, and was this before you started writing the fishing column? Obviously, you needed to, be, to get a bit of knowledge before you started to do that. How did you work it all out? Was there anyone there who helped you out? Oh, quite a few. I, the smartest thing to do for anybody who's um, going to a new area or even going on holidays to a different area, um, go and find those locals who are successful, the best fishermen, and have a, and see if you can have a yarn to them because you learn more off them than you will any other way. And, and hopefully you can um, sort of get into their company and have a decent yarn about what's going on and how you can, what uh, methods to use, what bait or what lures or, you know, I mean, gosh, there's so much to learn. So when I learned about fishing for snapper out of an 11 foot tinny, I started from scratch. I did. I didn't have a clue. I just had to work everything out for myself. And the same with um, fishing out of for mulloway out of an 11 foot tinny. Now, that's something else that I had never, ever done before. And so, I mean, I got a few shocks when the big mulloway start towing you around and around single bay. I mean, that's something I never experienced before. What was your method of, of landing them, Stinker? How did you get them in the boat? They would make the boat a bit unstable. They're nearly as big as you. Oh, yeah. Well, you can't fit any... If you get a big one in there, and I've had a couple well over 65 pound in, in Stinkpot, and there's not much room for anybody else, really. But the, what I would do is uh, you'd tire them out till they came to the side of the boat and then grab them um, by the plate, what they call the gill plate. Not the gills. Don't get your hands stuck in the gills because then you can't get your hands out. Um, but if you grab the plate, you can pull them over the side, or you lean back and just pull them over the side. But I've given that up a long time ago, um, Mulloway, but they're still around. Oh, they're still exactly where I used to catch them, but no one fishes for them anymore. Um, but then drummer. See, fishing for drummer, I'd never in my life fished for drummer until I arrived here. And to think that you'd, you'd uh, go out there and use 30-pound line and a 2-0 hook, and, and you put it, um, kanji voy. Well, I've never used kanji voy for bait before, and burly up with bread. And then when a drummer hits, oh, gee, I don't know whether you've done much drummer fishing, but they can't pull. Yeah, yeah they don't muck about. It's it's a tug-of-war, all right, isn't it, once they once they grab. and Because uh, you see them underwater, don't you? Their tactic is to go straight back for their cave or straight back under the ledge as soon as they take the bait. Oh, yeah, yeah they're um, great survivors, drummer. So I, I got stuck into the drummer. I got really uh, quite fascinated by drummer. So that took up huh, a couple of years of my life. I chased drummer around. But then once I got over that, um, and then groper, of course. No one, I'd never fished for groper before. Um, and uh, catch rock crabs and then put them on a 5-0 hook and then burly up with sea urchins and then send the poor old crab down on the hook in the 30 foot of water and, well, talk about pull. Oh, dear, <laughs> like a mad dentist. You just did you grab hold. Well, I used hand lines for starters, 50 or 60 pound hand line, and when they pull, you try and pull harder. It's just incredible, <laughs> the power of a groper. 
<laughs> hey, um, what what about being the the PE teacher at school, which is probably one of the the, the best jobs in education? Did you learn a bit from the kids there? Oh yeah, the kids. There, well, see, most of them were sons of and daughters of um, fishing families, and and we'd go for a walk along the beach and and talk, do a lot of talking in <laughs> my lessons. There were a lot of talking, <laughs> and then the, you saw then you'd meet the parents in the pub somewhere, and they'd tell you about the fishing and where the fish were biting. And oh, look, everyone was free with their information. There's been a real change in attitude by by most fishermen, like I'm talking about recreational fishermen, in that now they're very free with their information. But it wasn't so long ago that they were um, oh, like Maxwell Smart at all. <laughs> MI5. The cone five. of silence. The cone of silence. silence. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. The cone of and and or if anything they did tell you it was probably incorrect, you know. <laughs> oh gee. But it, fishing people now, I think, are far more open and honest. The stumps still hide behind trees and all that sort of stuff. But oh, I gave that up long ago. Actually I don't think I ever started. If anyone ever asked me where I caught them or how I caught them, I was quite happy to tell them. I didn't care. Well that sort of um Carry on, carrying on that tradition, the people that welcomed you all of those years ago to the, the region, isn't it? They they were open. I, I guess you had a few uh, parent-teacher <laughs> nights when the kids said, oh, Dad got some good ones on the weekend. I oh, tell him I want to see him. <laughs> oh, yeah, parent-teacher night was always interesting. I'd say, oh, how's my son doing at school? I'd say, very well, but how are the fish bites? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, no, but they've been very good. This community, Nelson Bay community, uh, well, I've been here for a long time, and really, they're a tremendous community. The old ones, like there's a lot of new people arriving, and that's good. It brings new life to the community. But all the old stages, the old pioneering families and that, they're just great. I love to sit down and talk to them and have a cup of tea, and I just think it's great. Uh, just to listen to how things used to be. Uh, like, I mean, there's a big old wooden jetty here in Nelson Bay, and it's pulled down now, but it was here when I arrived. But it was it was built way back before the 1920s, and that was one of the best fishing spots for snapper. You'd walk out onto the end of this big wooden jetty in, in the harbour, inside the port, and fish for brim and snapper and, and uh, all those other fish that I mentioned previously. Oh, the fishing must have been really sensitive. It's still good. Fishing here in Port Stephens is still good. There's only a few things that really have dropped off over the years. Squid, I've mentioned, is one. I don't want... I've got no idea what's happened to the squid. No. But everything else, like those other uh, snapper and, and traglin, there's heaps of them, and, and mulloway, there's no problem with them. Kingfish, flathead's been a tremendous season. I saw a, a mud crab the other day come in oh, right about it this week. It was about two and a half kilo mud crab. I mean, there's a lot of really good fishing and crabbing to be done. Yeah. I was reading one of your books, and the, the wife of a professional crabber, I think, told the story, or someone told the story um, in regards to how crabs were treated in the old days when they were netting the estuary. Oh, well, crabs and squid. They didn't want. No one wanted crabs or squid. They were real. 
problems. So they'd actually be stomped and squashed and, and taken so that they wouldn't ruin the net and thrown into the bush. So no one would eat them. And I, heard, I think it was the influence of the Greeks and the Italians that arrived in the community. They said, hey, don't go throwing that away. That's good tucker. And then, of course, they shared that around and everyone thought, golly, we're not throwing that away anymore. <laughs> so it's a changing attitude to our diet as well. But, oh, no, I'm, I'm still learning, Scott. But, oh, gee, it's, it's such a, a challenge. It's a massive challenge because the opportunities here in Port Stephens, whether if they be out the outer reefs or the islands or the beaches or inside the port and the river systems, I mean, <laughs> there is so many places you can go. A whole lifetime of fishing, can uh, different fishing, can be experienced within a very short um, travelling. You don't have to go far to, to try all sorts of different things. Yeah, too, too many spots, not enough time. We're speaking with Stinker. Stinker, what about those who weren't so open and and honest? You know, did did uh, people ever try to cover their tracks or or oh, uh, yeah. keep keep yeah. their spots and and what they caught secret? Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that there are a few. Like I say, there's not as many as there used to be. But I, um, when anyone fishes for mulloway off the beach or off the rocks, they know that when you drag a mulloway back to your truck or wherever, a lot of scales are left behind. So you see a trail of scales. So anyone who's a little bit observant can see, ha-ha, there's been a, a mulloway here caught here last night. Uh, so I know one guy who had a big... Um, bag, a really, really big bag, and he put his fish in there to drag so they never left scales on the ground. I mean, you go with, <laughs> they go extraordinary lengths to, to conceal what, what they did. Um, but, no, nah, look, I couldn't be bothered doing all that, really. <laughs> but I did go for a walk along the break wall in Nelson Bay uh, last week, and I saw... Three piles of scales, um, juicy scales on the break wall in Nelson Bay, and some black ink. Now that's interesting too, because that can either be a squid that they use for bait, or maybe one that they caught. Uh, but there was also signs that jewfish had been caught. So you learn all the signs too, Scott. You, <laughs> the, you get a bit like a detective. You're the fishing that. detective. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love, I love it when they keep it secret. It's very funny. But uh, look, it's it's all about time on the water, stinker, and the and the best fisherman's the one having the most fun. Well, that's true. You never ever should lose that. Uh, the, what it's all about, because. Quite frankly, I've come across a few that are so, oh, well, wrapped up in fishing that it becomes, uh, gives them some sort of pressure involved, you know, yeah. and causes some degree of concern if they don't care. Well, if you, you know, it's something that you should totally enjoy. I love it. I love it. I've been doing it for so long, and if I get in stink pot, and I go out around the corner of the island, and I'm nine, mostly by myself, I'm just in another world. And, um, you know, then I set up, and I, I figure this is a good day, I should catch some fish, and then you, whatever you catch, or sometimes you catch none, and you still come home, 
and you've had a tremendous experience, whether you've caught the... If you catch none, you scratch your head and try and figure out why you caught none. So it's uh, it's just a big game. But if it, if it becomes too much of... If any pressure is involved or stress, give it away and go and play croaky or something. <laughs> Tight line, stinker. Hooray, Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Come all ye bold fishermen and listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Yea, oh little fish, don't cry, don't cry. Yea, oh little fish, you'll be a whale by and by. You go to fish school and can learn from a book How not to get caught on the fisherman's hook Yea-ho, little fish, don't cry, don't cry Yea-ho, little fish, you'll be a whale by and Creek Outback Fishermen's Club hadn't seen rain in years so they boarded a bus without any fuss their eskies held 10,000 beers bound for the coast were a good dozen starters to fish the deep sea with dodgy dicks charters they arrived at the port 
already half dusted. Most wouldn't have caught the skin off a custard. Out through the heads and all went well until they encountered a six metre swell. Still they ploughed through the lager without any fear but the catch of the day would be Maldemere. It was Charles Chuck Berry first to provide a trail of fresh burley heaved over the side. It brought on the snapper which came out of the reef. Then Chuck hurled so hard he spat out his false teeth. Through the depths thinking his fangs spiralled down while the green-gilled old bushy watched on with a frown. Said club captain Mick with a wink to his mates, watch this for a laugh, it's gonna be great. He whipped out his falsies, pearly white and fine, and when Chuck's back was turned, tied them onto his line. Mick lifted his rig, a paternoster, two droppers, and said with surprise, Chuck, I've just caught your choppers. Old Chuck snatched them quickly, right out of Mick's grasp, and between his bare gums, the teeth he did clasp. With a garbled sea curse and an almighty spit, he cried, Those aren't my dentures, they do bloody fit. But before Mick could count from one to three, Chuck hurled the false teeth back into the sea. The Boozers Creek boys were now splitting their sides. All the while, the fetching swell rose with the tide. Oblivious to all, Chuck re-emptied his tummy. While Mick looked on crestfallen, forlorn, po-faced and gummy. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio.
Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Get out of it. How do you see that? You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.